even very artistically, this one announcing a film show that's occurring uh, at a school to fundraise. Again, this idea, this notion that we like to announce things and trumpet out events and series, I think is an important concept of schools. And I just show this off because it's me. Like, I even, like, a, I'm, a, I'm the nerdiest guy that I know, and yet I love my bulletin board. I have one at home. I have one in my office. I don't like the paper that follows me around in my world. I prefer not to use paper things if I can go digital. But I still have a bunch of crap that I find important enough to pin to a wall to let me know about things, to stimulate my thoughts and actions. That's who we are as human beings, okay? That's one of the reasons why, if you've not heard of the, the newest Web 2.0 tool, Pinterest, which is uh, basically this. We like to take stuff and put it in a visual medium, right? That's who we are as humans. And, you know, it wasn't a nerdy person that introduced me to Pinterest. It was my mother that said, have you heard of Pinterest? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but that would be the first time that my mom has aged me on the internet. <laughs> but I think there's a message there, right? It speaks to us. We like to announce. We like to organize. We like to create visual means of trumpeting out what's important to us. Okay? So that's message number one today. And I want you to remember that as we start to talk about some specific other elements of this. Okay? Now I'm going to talk a little bit about the research that talks about communication between teachers and schools. And I found what I like to refer to as the master of the obvious page from the University of Illinois Extension Helping Children to Speak in School page, which notes very helpfully that research shows that children do better when school, or in school when parents talk more with teachers. Yes. I would grant that that's absolutely the case. And I, I, I generally wouldn't refer to something uh, this generically because I hate when people use the word research says as an argument because it turns out there's no one named research and there's no book named research. But still, I would grant this is probably an obvious one, that our kids benefit if schools, parents, and teachers are talking with one another. But there's even more aggressive research that does denote how important it is to open up lines of communication between our schools and our surrounding community. Uh, this article from the Harvard Family Research Project talks about a certain school model, which is called citizen schools in Texas, and one of their key components in citizen schools is the notion of communication, establishing lines of communication between teachers and parents. And they specifically mention how important that early and consistent communication is. Although they are talking about more one-on-one -on -one communication, how important it is for teachers to call parents and parents to call teachers to open up lines of communication I think there's probably a message here. But there are other elements of the citizen school model that I think are useful. Things like intentional relationship building. That no relationship happens by accident. That we need to proactively, as schools, build lines of communication to help tell our story to the broader community. I think that's an important concept. And also facilitating the creation of a network understanding that we don't exist in a vacuum in schools, that actually we are a community inside of a community. Sometimes even more complexly, we are a community inside of a neighborhood inside of a community. Remembering that we have all these constituencies that are all relying on the school. And a lot of times that has very little with a kid sitting in front of you, but everyone you don't see every day when you're sitting in a classroom or an administrative office. Okay. Other basic conceptions that I think are important. The notion 
of effective home and school communication. Um, this is a, a couple pieces from um, a, another Harvard Family Research Project uh, article and, and research study that talks about how when they've analyzed traditional, it has nothing to do with social media, this is just um, a, a, an aggregation of 80 studies dealing with home and family communication, um, it, it, it really has to do with our students' performance in classrooms too. The family involvement is linked to student learning. It has a greater effect on achievement than almost all other forms of involvement. So we can provide lots of um, uh, support for students, but if they don't have family support inside a school environment, that can oftentimes be absolutely detrimental to students. Um, and oftentimes, we are not engaging communities when we perceive that those communities are unresponsive to us. Teachers tend to give up somewhat easily when we perceive that our message isn't getting heard. And that can be detrimental to student learning. So this may actually have a bottom line for what everyone's really excited about right now, which is student achievements. Okay? So let me go another piece further then and talk about beyond the importance of communication, what else might be guiding us in our evolution towards becoming a more media literate society? Well first, this is probably not a shocker to you, but nearly half of all Americans are now smartphone owners. Not just cell phone owners, smartphone owners, which means they own an iPhone or an Android phone or a Blackberry or some phone that's effectively a mobile internet device. Half of all uh, American adults are smartphone owners. That would also seem to suggest that half of parents are smartphone owners. In fact, if you take out the age groups that are in retirement age that are less likely to have K-12 students in their home, those numbers tend to increase. Look at those numbers more specifically. Nearly half of all American uh, adults are smartphone owners. That's an 11 percent point increase over 35 percent from last year. That adoption is a really unprecedented adoption rate. Cell phones have been adopted by people in one of the fastest technology adoptions in history. Smartphones are not new. They are about a decade old, although the decade old smartphones would look very pale in comparison to the modern-day Android or iPhone that we have sitting in our pockets. But the modern-day smartphone is an amazing, amazing device, which happens to be a mobile communicator, a mobile Internet station, a means of attaching to our world. Okay? Um, a couple of other stats that I think are kind of interesting. This one is smaller than I would assume, but 8% of U.S. adults online are now Twitter users. This uh, technology adoption doesn't seem to be nearly as fast as other forms of social media, but it's still increasing at a fairly steady rate. If you need evidence that Twitter is being adopted as a platform, you can just look at our traditional forms of media. Every television show is suggesting to you on the bottom of the screen, please go online and discuss the show with your friends, and here's a Twitter hashtag where you can aggregate with other communities that may be discussing this episode of Breaking Bad or a really bad show, The Bachelorette, um, on, on, on network television. Um, those notions of creating community are obviously great enough that traditional forms of media are attempting to do so. And if you look at the specific numbers, it's pretty impressive. The 30 to 64 crowd, which would be our parents, right? Um, they are adopting the technology at a fairly high rate. 
Okay, so that's a, a piece of this that's also critical. Okay, and then the most stunning number to me that I, I, I think is most interesting is the fact that Facebook has long stopped being a phenomenon of kids. Facebook is now an adult tool. And for me, if you need any other evidence of that, it's my own mom has a Facebook account. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about that in very detail in a moment. But right now, um, 65% of adults, of online adults surveyed in May said they were using social networking sites. And the majority of those that were using social networking sites, quote unquote, were using Facebook. Now, of course, kids are terrified by this notion because Facebook is not supposed to be for adults. And I, I found this site. It's called Oh Crap, My Parents Joined Facebook, <laughs> which is a list of complaints about people uh, from kids um, that, and, and, and showing off where, where maybe mom or dad didn't handle Facebook very well. I can tell you from my own um, life, um, you know, my Facebook account has never been controversial. I was adult enough when Facebook was created that I rarely post the you know, uh, pictures of me face down drunk which is a really apparent occurrence in my life. So I've avoided that stickiness on my Facebook account. But I can tell you that uh, without doubt, if I post a picture of my wife or my dog, the first two people that will like it, oftentimes within seconds of me posting it, is both my mother and my mother-in-law. So they are just right there with the like. It's like my mom is waiting at home with the finger on the mouse, <laughs> waiting for me to post photos of me or my family. So that's something that I, I think is a sign of this. But, you know, in a lot of ways, the last five years of Facebook has been kind of the mom takeover of Facebook. That particularly adult women have been the fastest growing population on Facebook, which suggests to us that there are people that are on social media outlets, okay, that are looking for information, looking to drive information, or looking to find out more about their lives and their world, right? Oh, and by the way, there, there are no here. I thought this was kind of funny. Um, they're, the way they describe their site, you can't Facebook with them, you can't unfriend them. So the worst part about your parents is you can't unfriend them on Facebook. And I guess that's their excuse. Sorry, Mom. Click. My house threatened to unfriend me for a long time. Really? Has it worked out that way yet? I stopped cross-posting Twitter. And it's oh, well, that, that, yeah, that does help a lot. So that absolutely does help a lot. Okay, so remember, our topic today is convergence, right? So, so what? We have a desire to speak out and join a community and be part of a group, and we have a lot of people with cell phones and technology in their pocket, they're adopting social media, and we have research that says that communication between teachers, schools, and parents is critical for student outcomes, okay? So who cares, right? Like, what's the bottom line of that? What do those three things have in common? Well, I will tell you that I think if schools don't adopt avenues of utilizing social media in a positive way, then the story will move on without them. So let me give you my basic premise here, that if you ignore social media and the means of social media, um, uh, it wasn't... I misread my own quotation. Um, ignoring social media means shutting down a potentially massive channel of communication to parents, community members, and taxpayers, right? There are people in our community that want to know about schools, right? They have a curious interest about schools. Even the curmudgeons that hate public schools like to hear good things that are going on in schools, right? That's true. People like to hear good things that are going on in their community. But if we, as teachers, parents, schools don't tell the positive stories of what's going on in our schools, those stories will be taken over by others that are already using social media in maybe a less than, than positive way. Let me give you two examples of this. 
Have you ever visited the local comment section of your local newspaper? It is awesome. It's Trollville, right? If you're not aware of the concept of troll, a troll is someone who likes to sit in their cave, um, uh, throwing out dirt at others, um, usually for their own amusement. And unfortunately, we've seen instance after instance after instance of how anonymous commenting in newspapers has really led to a toxic environment, not just for schools, but almost all public institutions that are reported on by our media. If you need any evidence of that, next time there's a school levy article in your newspaper, go to the comments section and look at the trolls who are telling you all these oftentimes questionably factual things about your local school. Right? If you're from the Missoula area, if you want example of trolling, look at any article about the recent scandals on the University of Montana campus. The most ill-productive discussion in that has not been the actual newspaper articles, which have been of anywhere from excellent to, to very quality. It's the people that decide that they are an expert and add their own notion to the bottom of articles. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that the commenting and discussion are important. My academic training is partially in debate. I think that speaking and discussing and arguing and disagreeing is important. I don't want to diminish that. But if you only allow the people to anonymously comment and be grumpy about things, you're going to find that, that it never is about the good things about schools that end up in comments. Or, you know, I think the person that, that um, you know, misspelled a number of words about the levy is wrong about that, that piece, right? No one does that. It's just the people that apparently have the time to sit at home and comment on numerous articles. I've got some examples for you. Um, this is the uh, Helena paper. And... If you're not aware of Helena, Helena had a, a pretty good situation a couple years ago due to a sex ed curriculum issue that was uh, <laughs> so bad that Fox News showed up and, and asked questions about things. And it was a really, really, really bad deal. And there's lots of discussion and arguing. There were school board elections. And there were fights. And there were meetings. And people were crying at school board meetings. And blah, 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 blah. So a couple years ago, um, you know, levies are a big deal, right? Um, and here we are attempting as much as possible to pass levies in Helen and support schools, right? So super interesting piece, right? So this one talks about how levies actually passed and then also talks about a speaker. So what happens with the comments section? It's, you know, why are these kids in class and there are people who are apathy and we should have voted this down like they did at Townsend and blah, 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 blah. Troll, 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 troll. Even the people that are defending schools aren't doing a very eloquent job at it because this is what happens in anonymous comment regimes. People just get grumpy, 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 right? This is a form of social media, right? Discussions on newspapers is a form of social media. And um, I'm going to go ahead and guess, and by the way, our famous one in Helen is Purple. Purple gets up at um, sometimes when it, the stories switch over in the middle of the night and comments on them, Purple has a very distinct point of view and is super critical of public institutions and schools. And I'm going to go ahead and guess, I don't know for sure that none of these other names sound familiar to me, but it's probably the same people over and over again, right? Um, I know that these people aren't news, right? I know that these people aren't the news article, but I'm going to go ahead and guess that an unnuanced reader that's looking at the article or maybe doesn't understand that these commenters are not official or even part of the newspaper article might mistake this for news, right? That this is part of the newspaper article. Did you read the newspaper the other day? It was in the newspaper, right? That's the rhetoric that comes along with this. This is not healthy, and this is the kind of conversation that goes on if you 
don't, um, uh, if you don't have a counterpoint to that, right? And I'm not just talking about the commenting piece of this. I'm talking about creating other narratives. I'm, yeah. I'm going to come to Ellen and work because I didn't know they made over 100 grand. I know. I didn't know that either. Wow. I was apparently on the wrong, the wrong scale. Or that they don't, they don't realize that a lot of those OMSI presentations are free. Yeah, yeah. Indirectly related to the science curriculum. Yeah. Well, that's the point, right? Like, you know, if you read this article and you know what you know, a lot of times these comments are based off of not knowing something, right? You know, now, interestingly enough, there was a big situation. Great Falls, the Great Falls Tribune has moved away from anonymous commenting and now forces you to sign in with your Facebook account, which has your name on it. Now, you can get a fake Facebook account with a different name on it. Most people are too lazy to do that. As it turned out, that cleaned up the Tribune's comments a lot. Their discussion has elevated in ways that is it's life, night, and day. Because when suddenly you can't hide behind your rock and your cave, Mr. Troll, you tend to be a little nicer about something. Some people are happy to still be kind of troll-like or be known as trolls, but still, I think that that helps things. I'm going to throw myself under a bus here. Have you ever been to Rape My Teachers? So this one is, it used to, it used to be a really big handwritten site in, in, in the, the past decade, right? It's anonymous ratings of teachers. Like, the kids are getting on and rating teachers, and the kids are anonymous, and this is so unfair, and blah, 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 blah. Is that and, your and, ad? Huh? Is that your ad? That's not my ad, no. So I've not lost that much weight, actually. But um, um, I, I want to show you what a, a really helpful comment. Apparently, I am, according to a student in 2006, I'm not very helpful, I'm not very clear, I'm not very easy, and I am mediocre. So, I am a mediocre instructor according to anonymous user in 2006. This is what animating gets us, right? Like, there's lots of productive comments on here. I think on balance, I do pretty well on Rate My Teachers. I know some fabulous teachers, amazing teachers, that have next to, that they're raised parts because they're looking for easy teachers. Like, one of the ratings, whether you're a good teacher or not, is whether you're easy. I've never wanted to be known as that in that context, right? Like, that's something that's, that, that is not a useful rating in my mind. Are they helpful? That's better. Clear, which apparently, again, I'm obviously not. But if that's, you know, this is what happens. This is the narrative, right? If someone's searching for my school, if they're searching for Capital High School, and they go on here and find out that all the teachers are super hard and not very clear and not very helpful according to the anonymous masses that found Rate My Teacher, that's a story that exists on the Internet. That's a narrative that I think schools, teachers, and communities should be counterbalancing. Okay? And maybe the schools are mediocre, and then maybe I can't really help you with social media, but if you believe that what you're doing is right, and that this is wrong, or this is not very helpful, then I think schools and teachers should be working to tell their own story. Okay? So, I like to always present rules in a presentation, because I think rules are, are, are good things, and plus it, it kind of speaks to my German ancestry. And I also believe that rules should be broken, so these may not work for you. But I have four things that I want to suggest to you, and I want to, I want to look at some specific examples. Um, the first thing is that I think that no one should ever accidentally use social media, right? Like, you shouldn't put social media to chance. You shouldn't say that as a principal, that maybe one of my teachers will do this, or that maybe we'll make this part of the assignment of a principal, or maybe we'll even set up a student account and have them blog or tweet or update our Facebook account. You should always plan your presence, okay? And messaging is important. Understanding what you want to tell the community is as important as actually telling it to the community, okay? 
The second rule that's important is that accuracy is way more important than having a pretty web page, right? I can tell you from my own experience that uh, one of them, I've done this in two ways. I, there have been times in my teaching career where I've had a beautiful, beautiful, well done, well thought out, extremely functional and pretty web presence, but it didn't have any information on it. I spent so much time making the web page that I forgot to put information on there and they didn't have time to update it. The same is true about a large number of schools. Every time I stumble onto a school website that hasn't been updated in five years or mentions the CRT results from 2006, or tells me about an assembly from 2004, or has a principal from two or three times back, that is an example of someone that is not caring very much about their public presence, right? Remember those reader boards in the front of school? Right, you'd be mocked mercilessly if you had, hey, the 2007 yearbooks are out in 2012, right? The same should be true, and the same should be considered, considered about your website. You should not have a website over having one that never gets updated, okay? Next, unofficial presences are as important as your official channels. And you have to be cognizant about this because if a teacher is tweeting from a class and it's an unofficial tw Twitter account, right, that can be sometimes as useful or as controversial as having an official presence in a district. And that's going to go as part of your story in your school, in your district, in your town. Right? So if I create a Twitter account and my school trade creates a Twitter account and we both tweet about the same, as it turns out, we have about an equal voice. Because that's the thing about social media is it really does allow us to scale to about the same loudness if we have a, a message that, that's resonant in a community. Like, if I'm the loud, grumpy teacher that sits in my room and just complains about the district um, on my Twitter account, that's probably going to be as uh, uh, interesting to readers as someone that's just sending out positive or highlighting messages from a district Twitter account. So that's something to keep in mind. And last and certainly not least, just like almost everything else ever, 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 the more we can involve students in this process, the better off we are. If we can bring students in and have their voice represent the district, that's a good thing. And in fact, that's something that traditional media oftentimes does an okay job at, but maybe, you know, everyone likes the cute interview with the little kid, right? But what if you could have all 30 of the little kids in the project somehow contribute to a voice? I think that's going to add a lot of engagement for a community when you're highlighting good things that are going on in your schools. Right? So, let me talk about the, the first thing that every school should do, the lowest hanging fruit, the easiest thing you can do right away to create a, a presence, and that's make sure that you have a web website, right? And I'll go back to my original piece of this, that a website should not be an accident. You don't put up a website and not update it for six months, eight months, three years. You actually have a website and create good examples with it so it's useful. Um, I put some example ones, and you can actually get to this um, I, I shared several live binders with examples of things that I want to show off today. They'll be in the presentation. If you want to go to it right now, all my links will be shortened URLs, jasonlinks.net, no www, but jasonlinks.net slash six will be numero uno today. And I want to show off some examples of kind of different philosophies of school websites that get the job done. Um, one of the things that I think is really critical to understand is that if you're in a big district, 
you probably need to have a uh, at least a pleasure website uh, than not. Not that you can't get away with a cheaper alternative, but the best websites, and by the way, what's really interesting about this, uh, and I've collected these websites over time, almost all the amazing websites that I show off um, that, that kind of demonstrate this, oddly enough, are ones that are from private schools or larger districts. Right now, they probably have the cash money to develop these things, although I know there's some very specific examples of relatively meagerly funded private schools that put on really great web presences. They just are clever about it. But absolutely, all of the example websites that I have, and I'm going to show you a couple of these and leave the rest of them for you to kind of explore on your own time, these are really great examples of nice, clean web presences. Um, notice here, this particular site has almost no information on the front, but is a good advertisement of something that's going on in schools. It's quick to get the message that this is a modern school. Um, it's obviously a uniform-based school, um, and students are sitting, um, obviously captivated by a computer lab, but you can get to the information extremely easily. And that's one of the things that I think is absolutely critical about a, a school website, is that if you're going to offer the information, don't make people search for it. Okay? If you don't know anything about this particular country school, for example, I mean, you can literally go to the, the About Me page and find out more about it. Or if this is a private school, so you want to know about admissions, there's a clear way of finding that information out extremely quickly. It's not old information. It's not dated information. In fact, one thing that I think is somewhat clever about the way they thought about this particular website is that they don't put a lot of information on the front page that can get dated very quickly. They have a good initial web presence and stick the rest of the stuff deeper inside the website. Okay? And again, a website is really not a new phenomenon. I've taught in school since 1996 that had school websites, but I think that if you haven't updated your school website since 1996, it's time to consider what modern-day websites look like. A couple other examples of ones that I think are really great, easy-to-understand websites. This is a district website in Ohio. Again, you'll notice that clean navigation, updated information, um, uh, you know, things that people want on the front page or on the front page without a lot of annoying, uh, evolving information. Think about if someone's going to your web page, what are they looking for? And I'll give you a primary example of this. Everyone should have their main phone number on the front page of their website. The reason why is because people don't use phone books anymore. They are dying technologies. They are books that people are desperately giving away now and attempt to get people to use them. Most people that have a digital device tend not to pick up a phone book. They do a Google search. And if your website is the first one that comes up on a Google search, you don't want people to hunt and peck for, for those pieces. Okay? So these are all examples of clean, obviously very well done, commercially uh, 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 created, or at least somewhat semi-professionally created websites. But what if you don't have the money to do that? Or what if you don't have a district technology staff that's going to cleanly code you a site from scratch or create a great skin for a content management system? Well, a lot of schools effectively use free tools to do the very same thing. And I want to show you three, uh, actually I have three examples of that. These are all sites that are hosted on the free platform known as EduBlogs. Okay? EduBlogs is a blogging uh, platform for schools. You can go to EduBlogs and get a free one. It used to be that EduBlogs free were a little sketchy because they had a lot of uh, contextual advertising on them. 
Well, they don't do that anymore. Now, they actually create a means of uh, having free websites without the advertising. They used to actually have clickable links inside your content. So they would have information be in advertisements. You click on information to bring up information advertisements, right? We don't do that anymore. You can go to get a free edgy blog, and it's advertising free, right? It needs to be for a school purpose, so you don't post your you know, private journal thoughts on edgy blogs. But the actual teacher-based websites are free, including for schools and institutions. Now, I have to tell you, um, I, uh, my institution does pay for edgy blogs. We have a hundred seat, our teacher seat edgy blog system that we use in Montana at Digital Academy. I did mention my program. Um, but um, and we, we find that to be very valuable to us. We pay a very small amount of money, it's $1,000 a year to get a pretty great infrastructure for instantly creating blogs that we actually use as teacher websites. But you know, the free one is, is just as good, and it's, it, there's, there's no advertising on it. It's, it's a free experience. And all three of these examples are ones that are obviously you know, EduBlog sites. They haven't paid for the pro version because the, the, the name has EduBlogs.org in it. This is the standard uh, free version of the website. And yet I think these are all functionally great school websites. Okay? There's pertinent information. There's contact information. You can easily navigate to pieces that you want your community to find out about. It's a great solid website without money, right? And if you um, want to pay a little bit more money, EduBlogs will actually post it at your own domain name. So if you want you know, myschool77.com, uh, you can work out with them for a slightly more premium service to get a co-hosted, as they call it, version of the site. Okay? Other examples, this one, same notion, right? Single school, nice visual piece, right? They, they do it in kind of more of a blog style, so there are individual articles on it, but it's still really clean, quick information that includes a lot of information that I would consider to be, you know, kind of interesting pieces for the community, okay? Links to teachers inside the school, okay, various pieces of information, and great positive stories on the front page about the school. Okay? And this is, not a, this is not a commercial presence, it's just a free presence that allows you to do so. And another example is a high school that does the exact same thing. Okay? This, is not, this is not tough to design. Okay? This one actually, what I like about this one is that there's barely any graphics on it. It's just a nice functional text web page. It's not as flashy as some other sites I've seen, right? It's not going to dance as much, and you'll notice there's even some broken images on the left-hand side, which I find to be kind of amusing. But you know what? It's information before function, function before form. Having the actual information posted there makes it a more useful site than that. Okay? So a simple website, a simple teacher website, I think, or I'm sorry, a simple classroom or school website is a good start on this. Okay? So that's what I would consider to be the lowest hanging fruit. If you're a classroom teacher, I think the rule also applies to you. And something that I've always strongly believed in is that you know, there are some schools that will buy a service. There's like I think school wires can create like instant teacher websites. That's all fine. I don't want to diminish against that. But if I were ever in charge of a school, I think I would go away from that, and I want teachers to instead more purposefully pick a website that works for them. There are literally thousands of ways that you can create a web presence as an instructor, whether it's blogging software or other pieces, and um, I want to show you some examples of ones that I think are um, 
um, really good examples of great classroom websites for individual teachers. Um, I mentioned this one a lot because he's probably my closest friend on earth. This is Don Fergriva. He's an AP English teacher at Helena High School. He's probably the best classroom teacher I've ever seen. Um, and, you know, amazing and awards and all sorts of things. And um, kind of shy about his success. But he has a, a, a website um, that he has created for his classroom that is probably the best articulated school website that I've ever seen. And um, he spends a lot of time doing this. This is, this is like super extra uh, varsity level um, uh, uh, tech website. And he actually hosts his own website. Um, I'm on the thing, let me get into full screen here so you can see the, the wonderfulness of it. But he's actually built a website that not only has his own information on it, that's visually extremely pleasing, right? Um, but he also creates um, the means of. Um, of having students interact on it. He has students blogging on the website. He has um, uh, an enormous amount of content he pushes on the website, and every time he sends out a note packet, every time he has a, a word list for vocabulary for his AP classes, every time um, he puts out new information for the course, it always makes it on the website. He does play with it a lot. That's why it's beautiful, is that he's constantly tweaking. This is, again, varsity level technology integration, and, and probably not for the masses, but I want to give you a sense of what a well-articulated classroom website looks like. This site's been active for nearly a decade now, and his kids just know that's the resource, right? There's never a question of what happens if I miss class. The kids know this is the place to go. And he has parents that read the website, and he has school, other schools that, that link to pieces on his website when they teach AP language or literature, and I think this is a really great example of a well-articulated classroom website. Okay? Yeah? Maybe just coming out, would you have any resources for solid social media policies for schools or districts? I feel like that's what kind of money for a lot of people. Uh, the answer is I'm not going to suggest specific policies, but I'm going to suggest strategies. And the reality is, is that um, I think the word policy might actually kind of gum up the, the, the element a little bit. I think the districts need to find a way to be encouraging of social media amongst their individual teachers while expecting professional behavior out of them. And I think that's, that's where things get, get mucky. I think everyone that's pushing out model policy right now is trying to protect districts from social media when I think my advocacy is for you want to set teachers free to use social media. So let me talk about that when we get to strategies and hopefully give you something that's, that's pretty, uh, or that's at least exact. Right. Um, and then I have other examples that are, are you know, a little more, um, I would say, accessible. This is Gary Myers, he's a third grade teacher in Helena. He's made this with iWeb. This is nothing that's really that extraordinary. Um, it's, it's very third grade-esque, right? I think that's a really critical piece of this, is that it's intended for third graders. He has a Twitter feed that he uses. Um, uh, uh, to send pieces out. It's not super extensive, right? It's not like it's functional as Don's website, but it's just as effective and works perfectly with the students that he gets in his classes. And some of the websites, I would argue, are downright ugly, but it's not the point of them. They're functional, right? This one, which is a very dated look at what um, a school website or a classroom website might look like. Um, but it's colorful, and it gives you a sense of um, you know, what is going on in the classroom. It utilizes media and pictures. I think this is a really critical piece to the understanding um, of a classroom. And again, these become all well-done classroom websites become counterpoints 
uh, become views inside of classrooms, become a story of how your school is best meeting student needs. And or you can push up those types of media, the better I think we are um, overall. Okay? And let's not forget that um, you can also use websites that are uh, relatively low tech but effective. This is a photography website. Um, and from a teacher in California, on this Dan McDowell, who is a, a relatively uh, popular speaker in the AP World History world, um, he's just created Google sites, right? It's nothing more extensive than creating just a place to put stuff, and then he puts various pieces that he can show off with students, um, various uh, media projects so people can know what's going on inside the classroom. It's evidence that there's learning going on inside of the classroom. Of course, I've now broken the site by putting it inside of the finders. But you get the idea, okay? So that's low-hanging fruit, right? Like that's that's 101, the creation website. I'd like to now talk a little bit about what happens when you up your game a little bit. And um, I do have some suggested uh, uh, platforms you might consider for a school website. Um, these are literally all one-hour sections in themselves. Um, you know, I, I think if you're brand new or if you're looking for something simple and super quick. It doesn't really get much better than Wikispaces or Google Sites for creating dead, simple places for you to just push positive content, right? But you know, there are literally uh, 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 an endless number of options if you want to create a more, um, um, uh, you know, more extensive web presence. So if you're new or if you have relatively enough technology skills, the easiest way to do it, go to Google Sites, sign up for an account, make it your classroom website, and put content on it. Hand the address out. And that's a place where you can start building a narrative about what's going on inside your classroom. Okay. So let's up our game a little bit now and talk a little bit about maybe using some of the, the social media options to do somewhat similar concepts. And I have three that I want to suggest to you today as potential options. The first one is Facebook. Um, Facebook and schools have a really strange connotation. We spent so much time um, kind of warning people about the evils of Facebook and also watching people fumble on Facebook. And probably the best example of that is, and we don't see as many of these anymore, but people that did stupid things on Facebook and then made that information public. There's a lot of really great boring articles. You just pick up your local union magazine, finger-wagging that, you know, Sally Sue went to Vegas and got really drunk and ended up face down in a gutter somewhere and took pictures of it. She posted it on her Facebook and she had her public settings wrong and now she's being brought up and, and, and it's been fired by a school district. Or said something stupid or, or, or um, uh, said something that was controversial when they shouldn't have on their Facebook account. And we have a really mixed uh, relationship with Facebook in schools because we don't want kids distracted by Facebook um, in our classroom environment. Except that, remember, 50% of, of adults in the United States are now Facebook users, right? That media is pretty unprecedented. In some cases, that's exceeding the readership of a local newspaper, which means that we have potential connections with parents that could allow us to create um, really wonderful, really interesting uh, ways of connecting with that larger community. That could be a space for pushing out your stuff. So I found just a couple of, of examples. They're not, uh, I would say, necessarily super representative because they um, sometimes um, uh, are good examples and sometimes aren't as well maintained as they should be. There we go. So all these are examples of school districts and in some cases 
more extensive communities that started using Facebook as a means of pushing out information. Okay? This is Smith Elementary in Helena. You'll notice that obviously it's not hitting a large community. There's 107 likes, and I think a good 15 uh, or 20 of those are teachers inside the building that have been told to go like the Facebook page. Right? But this is a great example of a nice, positive thing that is, is, is where you control the message that you can send out to the community. An interesting thing when you create a school page in Facebook is this is not just accessible to the Facebook community. If you type in Smith Elementary School in Helena, Montana, this one comes up in one of the first ten hits in most Google searches, right? So this is a place where you can push out information that you can absolutely control. It's not about connecting with people necessarily, although obviously you know, people are going to like you, right, and people are, you know, may connect with you in that way, but you can quite literally, if you'd like, push out your message of, of positive change. The greatest part about Facebook is, is it's immediately very organized. You can have photo albums, you can put video on, you can link to other websites, you can connect with other schools, okay? You can uh, look for other content and then direct your, your individuals towards that. Um, every politician in Montana um, has a Facebook page that they pretty actively update, or at least their, their, their public media people um, actively update. You know, if Superintendent Denise Juno is at your school, there's a pretty good chance that she's going to promote that on her Facebook page. If you're friends with Denise Juno, your school page is friends with Denise Juno, she comes to your school and tags you, you can then put that on your page. You can make that part of the larger interconnection of the community. That's true of almost every politician that gets social media. They want to make connections. They want to be known that they were at your school with your part of this community. And you control this, right? There's a built-in calendar. There's a built-in way to share photos. There's a built-in way to share videos on this site. And you control all those pieces, right? And again, it's not about a huge community, right? In this case, again, just 107 people connected with this, but this page is going to come up on a Google search if people are looking for your school, right? And it sure beats the pants off anonymous commenters that might be commenting on a, an article, maybe even a nice article, about your school that appear in the local paper. Okay. Uh, this is a, a larger a larger school district, obviously way larger because there are many thousand likes as opposed to the notion of, um, of the 107 Smith School. But here's the exact same idea. Photos, maps, all drawn directly into this piece. And if you create this, and again, if you then update it, it becomes a wonderful presence um, to, um, uh, to show off what's great inside your community. And people will comment. Okay. Now, I will warn you about something. Can people comment on your pages? Absolutely they can. The trolls live everywhere, right? And they can definitely comment on your Facebook page. Except that this is different than the newspaper page for two reasons. Number one, you can delete troll comments. That's the best part about it. You control this page, you can delete people that aren't being very productive. But also, right, if they're associating this with a real name, which most people do, you know who the troll is, right? I'm going to go ahead and guess if your superintendent calls the, the, the local community troll, and says that I hear you have some questions about the way we use your tax dollars. I'd like you to come in, or I'd like to come to your house and have a cup of coffee with you and explain to you how we're using your tax dollars, right? I'm going to go ahead and guess connecting with people in that way. And of course, in a huge super or a huge district, superintendents have time to go out and find all the trolls. But again, you're connecting with people. The point is community, right? And I think those types of strategies could be extraordinarily effective.
Okay? And again, all these are, are primary examples of that, some big and some small. You, they are controlling the narrative here. They are controlling the story. They're telling individuals what's important, what do you want to know, what is an element of, of, of discovery that we want to send out to people as we are building our community story. Can I ask a question? Yeah, please. Um, when I set this up, I have it set up for our school, mm -hmm. but I had to set it up under my name. Right. So, so I would do two things. First and foremost, I would at some point um, make or make uh, someone or make a generic account associated with a generic school email account and call it like social media ad or something and then make that account also an administrator on there. Because I think you're bringing up a kind of critical point. If one of two things happens tomorrow, you no longer work for that school or two of you get hit by a bus, then that becomes potentially awkward. So you always want to make sure that, that there is some generic account that has administrative control over official media presences for a school, district, classroom, etc. So yeah, I think it's an important piece of that. And the same is true in my organization. We have a, a Twitter account. I actually have the username and password sitting in a sealed envelope um, that if, the, if I get hit by a bus envelope, which is where all those passwords go, and social media ones are listed right up there along with our student information system, my email account, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? So that, that's Facebook. You can do the exact same thing on other means, and I was going to also show you Twitter as an example of this. Um, Twitter is a more, um, I, I, well, again, not quite the population that um, others not quite the population that Facebook has, but that doesn't mean that their presence is any any lesser. In fact, I think the same thing happens here. If you uh, uh, search for Four Oaks Primary School, there's a pretty good chance that, that especially if you put in the words Birmingham, that this particular school, this particular Twitter page is going to appear somewhere in that top ten. And again, this is all messaging that you're pushing out. The best part about this is you can actually retweet or um, send out other people's messages when people compliment you. If you have a good social media presence and you have five parents that tweet you and say, hey, great job on the talent show on Saturday, you can make that part of your presence, which means you are giving some uh, additional uh, power to voices of people that want to support your district. Right? And I think Twitter could be, I think, a big thing that makes a part of this. And again, remember, you're controlling the message here. Okay. Um, I want to tell you a quick story about this, and then there's one other piece I want to show you. Um, there's, uh, so I'm maybe getting a little bit in the weeds here, but there's a, a thing in Twitter for you that are not Twitter, you just call a hashtag. And that is this idea that if you put a little um, uh, number sign in front of a word, right, that becomes what's called a hashtag. And the idea behind hashtags is that if other people are tweeting about the same thing and you're all using the same hashtag, you can search for that hashtag and then associate with other members inside of a community, right? That's why if you go and watch the NBC Olympic coverage, they have hashtag Olympics at the bottom of their screen. They want you to go discuss the Olympics on Twitter. That is a strategy I've seen some schools use, right? That, you know, you should discuss our school by saying hashtag, you know, so-and-so high school. And I've seen that twice. And both times I actually emailed that school and said, I told a little story of McDonald's. A couple of years ago, McDonald's um, we had a, a social media guy that said, I really want people to talk about McDonald's on Twitter. So he paid people to go out and tweet under 
McDonald's memories. Hashtag McDonald's memories. Right? Well, McDonald's doesn't control that hashtag. They just suggested people, right? And I'm not sure if you visited McDonald's recently, but not all McDonald's experiences are super positive for people, right? So very quickly it went from, yeah, I had my third year, third year old birthday there, and Grimace was there, and blah, 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 to, dude, I was so drunk, and I went to McDonald's, puked all over the bathroom. McDonald's memories, right? Um, or, um, man, I ate a chicken nugget there once, and one of the nuggets was a chicken's head. It was so gross. McDonald's memories, right? So here are all these, and McDonald's is promoting this, right? Like, don't do this hashtag. People are clicking on the hashtag, and you get to hear about the drunken puke experience and also the element of, of um, the chicken head that ended up in the McNugget bag. So create your own account. Don't rely on others to do that for you. And these are all examples of schools that do a great job of communicating. And plus, you can also oftentimes engage in direct communications with people, right? Delta does this. They have this thing called the Delta Assistant, where they look for people complaining about Delta on Twitter, and the guy back channels you and says, can I give you a hand? And oftentimes, they deal with negative things that are going on on Twitter by just finding the people, back channeling to them private messages, and sometimes, not all the time, helping them make it through that process. Okay? So, yeah, what? make that pretty. Is there uh, something on the site that I mean, I'm are you looking? Yeah, those are backgrounds. Okay. Right? And there are literally dozens of ways to create good backgrounds. You can actually find websites that will help you make a background. With this particular case, I think they just took the, the logo and put it on a red background called it good. Okay. Okay? And then extra credit goes to those that are creating even more nuanced pieces. These are Flickr channels and YouTube channels where people are putting out oops, stuff that I just screwed up. Um, Flickr and YouTube channels with media on there. If your superintendent uh, sends out a weekly email, why not make it a one-minute video instead and post it to the website? That's what the UM president does now is a weekly uh, YouTube video. If you're t constantly taking photos of your school, instead of just keeping those in a vault somewhere, and again, there are some issues with privacy and such, so you want to make sure and get permission for kids in this, but you'll post those things online, right? Like, get those things out of the community. This, in this case, this is a, a thousands of pictures that are showing what's, go, go, what's going well in a school. This is LA Schools' official channel, right? And um, again, not all this stuff is super pertinent to the day-to-day -day classroom. In this case, these are uh, LA Unified Schools of Teachers that are at the Olympics and they get shown on a local TV show. You can do that. If there's a positive story in the local television channel, get a copy of it, throw it up on YouTube, create an archive for people to see the good things that are going on in your schools. Okay? So let me kind of end with uh, uh, two things here. Uh, first and foremost, the content part should be the absolute easiest. If there's something good going on in your school, it can become a potential avenue for content on your social media channel. Guest speakers, assemblies, school plays, sports events, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, albums from school events, graduations, classroom projects, field trips, anything where people are taking pictures. Have parents share back a few pictures. Have students take pictures. Go buy 10 cheeky digital cameras. Send them out with your field trip bus every time and collect the photos when you're done and use that as part of your social media strategy. Those can all become evidence of good things that are going on inside of your schools. 
more subtly, I've seen more schools lately effectively fundraising by utilizing social media. My favorite one was that a couple of months ago, I was sent a, a, uh, an invite for a raffle ticket that was trying to buy iPads, and one of the things that was um, uh, offered was a half pick was part of the raffle. Of course, only in Montana would a half pick be on a raffle for iPads, right? And so um, that someone tweeted me that picture. I tweeted it out. Another 200 people um, uh, 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 saw that because other people retweeted it. Sending out novel things like that to the community, I think, is a really big part of this, okay? Anything can become potential content. Um, I want to... Uh, and with two pieces of, of what I would call strategery for a moment, so strategic ways that you can utilize this. Uh, first and foremost, you should always make social media something that is rewarded to your staff and not just an extra assignment that maybe someone will get to, right? If you're in a bigger school and you have duties, make this someone's duty. Don't just expect that people are going to jump on top of it. This takes time. It takes energy. It takes focus. Right? This is not an add-on. This is something that you should be expecting people to do but compensating for. Right? And don't assume it will get done on its own. Right? Second, accept social media as your public relations strategy. What I say by that is that if your district is big enough or if you're just a one-person district and you think about how you play out to the community, social media should be part of that discussion. It's not just good enough to have a crisis plan. It's not just good enough to be ready to go when something really bad happens. You need to also be just as proactive about pushing out good things about your district than <coughs> dealing with things when you're in panic mode. Right? And that's what's really interesting about kind of public relations in, in, in schools. Oftentimes the textbooks, and I just got done taking a social media, or no, I'm sorry, a, a public relations strategy for superintendent's class, a lot of that book was what do you do when the crap hits the fan, right? What do you do when you have a scandal? What do you do when you have uh, something go wrong? What do you do when levies are failing? What do you do when, when a teacher does something bad? Or what do you do when a superintendent does something bad? Those are all great things you should have. But you should also be as concerned, if not more concerned, about pushing out the positive things in your district. Right? Last thing I want to talk about, and this is really brief, um, not all social media is equal. Okay? And I found this really interesting blog post. This is Brendan Schneider, who's a director of admission for a private school. And he has a really great way of looking at something. And I want to share this with you because I think it's interesting. Um, he has a three-way standard. It's formal wear, business casual, and beach wear. Okay? Formal wear, business casual, and beach wear. He says that your tone that you adopt should roughly mimic the same way that you adopt different clothing for different situations. So here's his breakdown. Your school webpage is, is super formal wear. Right? That's where you put your correct information. That's where you put your polished message. That's where you put your uh, very, very, very clear information for people. Facebook is business casual, right? Like you want to be professional about it. You want to be positive. But, you know, it's a little less formal because it's Facebook, right? The way people interact in Facebook is by giving a thumbs up, right? So that's informal. Twitter is beachwear. Right? And even though Twitter should always be appropriate messages, you can put things on your Twitter account. If you're the principal and you say, go Tigers, that's great for your Twitter account. It probably makes less sense for a video for the front page of your website. Right? So that's the way you should approach these if you happen to utilize most strat or multiple strategies. Remember that you should always have a formal wear or formal presence. You should always have something that's a little funner and a little more functional. That's your, your business casual. 
And then also, your informal text or your uh, beachware is also just as critical. Okay? So I think that's a nice way of looking at this. That's all I've got. So thanks for staying all the way to the end. If you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them.